Thank you, Jacob. What a joy it is to be together and, and to sing Christmas hymns and, and rejoice around the advent of Christ. And I would mention, as Jacob just mentioned in his prayer, and it's certainly been in the news, uh, I want to remind you that uh, as we pray for Israel, we pray for the Lord who is her avenger to avenge himself. I think it's important, and I reminded you of this several weeks ago, it's important to pray biblically about that whole situation. You do realize the only occupiers in the land are those that have caused the war to begin with, the Palestinians, those so-called, I say, Palestinians. And that prior uh, prime ministers of Israel that gave away sections of their land did so in disobedience to the Lord. The land belongs to them. They're in it in unbelief, certainly. And the Lord has chastened them numerous times in that unbelief. But we have to be, we have to be biblical about how we approach that understanding and not buy into uh, the, the mob today, which, which is entirely wrong in their approach and their and their thoughts about uh, what should happen with those who call themselves Palestinians. So pray about that and pray uh, biblically about it. I'd like you to turn, if you would, to First Timothy chapter 5, if you would. We began a new section several weeks ago in this uh, study in First Corinthians chapter 5, and it, it has been a very wide study, much more broad perhaps than you would imagine as you did the first read-through. And so we've been able to see a lot of really important things as far as lifestyle choices go and different uh, things that need to be a part of, of the myriad of, of things that compete for our attention and time, but, and particularly for our ladies. But just I want to be clear about something really at the beginning because my desire is to, is to finish up this section, this chapter 5 today, Lord willing, or get as far as we can. I want you uh, to consider a number of uh, the topics that we've been dealing with. And if you know me, you know that I'm not interested in ever giving you my opinion on things from this pulpit. I, this is where we study the Word of God and what it has to say, and my intent and my preparation every week is to do just that, is to read the passage, do the reading, as we looked at a number of months ago that has always been a part of the reading of the Word of God, to do to read the passage so that we'll know what it says and to get the correct context and the correct grammar so that we will know how to apply it, what it means by what it says. And I just want to take you through this passage as the Word of God very clearly lays it out. And that's all I've been doing as we've worked our way through. And, and then compare Scripture with Scripture so that we know that we have the right understanding of the, of the, of the words and then the right understanding of its application. And, and in these types of passages, as I've mentioned to you before, they're very difficult to teach. And some uh, may not sit well with you. That sometimes happens. And it would be easy to dismiss those things and think, well, that's just Kurt's opinion, which is why I started like I did. I haven't given you my opinion. And so if you find that part or all of these passages rub you the wrong way, then I would just say that your debate is not with me. And when people come up and say, well, I disagree with what you said, what you're going to hear me say always is, so how did, as we went through the text, verse by verse and word by word, how did we misinterpret it? And I want you to tell me where, where we incorrectly understood it, because that's, a very, that's the key thing, see. It's not whether you think I gave you my opinion, because I didn't. I understood the text in its context, and then gave it to you and gave you the sense of that text. And so I would just encourage you as we work our way through, because the world has encroached a lot into these areas, particularly in the roles and complementary roles of men and women in the church and in the home and all of these kinds of things are really contrary to what we hear all the time, much like the Israel-Palestinian thing. And so it's important to think biblically about it and I would just encourage you if, if some of these things have rubbed you the wrong way, then 
I would like you to, I uh, encourage you to just check back through the passage and making sure we understand it correctly. They might help you come to grips with what you may need to do or not do or things you may need to think or not think. And I hope that helps you when you realize what I'm responsible to do and every man who stands in this pulpit is responsible to do and then what you are responsible to do with what you hear and understand. And, and if I can help you through a difficult part to apply it, I would be happy to do that. So give me the opportunity to help you uh, wrestle with all that, okay? Now, I'd like you, if you would, to please turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 1, if you would. And we're going to read through our passage. It's going to be, we're going to take a little bit of time to, to review because not everybody's here every week. And, and we're going to look at some of the things we've looked at because they all build on each other. And it'll take us right through at the end, picking up in verse 11 and all the way through verse 16. So look there at verse 1. It says, Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers, to the older women, verse 2, as mothers, and younger women as sisters in all purity. Verse 3, Honor widows who are widows indeed, but if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents. For this is acceptable in the sight of God. Verse 5, Now, she who is a widow indeed and who has been left alone has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. Verse 6, but it, she who gives herself to wanton pleasure is dead even while she lives. Verse 7, prescribe these things as well so that they may be above reproach. Verse 8, but if anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Verse 9, a widow is to be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man, having a reputation for good works, and if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted those in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good work. Let's pause right there. This is how far we have come through the passage to this point. And as I told you, it's my intent to complete this chapter today, and so I'm not going to go through all the supporting passages again uh, for the principles that are just very clear from Paul's letter to Timothy. I just want to reiterate, because they build on each other, and verses 1 and 2, we saw how Paul expects Timothy to relate to those he'll need to correct in the family that is the church, and so he says, do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal, the word uh, parakaleo, to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters. And that was our first, that was our first uh, principle. The correction that needs to be done is not to be done in the spirit of anger or wrath, but it is to be done in the spirit of encouragement and admonishment. And that doesn't mean that there isn't a rebuke there. It still has to be there. It's just moderated by the word, that, that word pericoleo all the way through. And so it takes the sense in which the leader or those in the church are to come alongside when they do the correcting and rebuking as a family member. And that was, that was uh, num uh, principle number two, correction that needs to be done, is to be done with consideration for others as proper in a family. So it puts the right context in it. There's always a moderating force because Timothy is going to have to correct those in the church, obviously. The, the whole letter is corrective in nature, and Timothy is there as the elder, and he has to do this. So there's going to be correction so is it an older man in sin? Correct him like you would a father with deference. If it's a younger man in sin, correct him like you would a, a, a blood brother with humility. Is it an older woman in sin? Then correct her like you would your own mother with tenderness. And it's a younger woman in sin, correct her like you would your own sister. 
like you would want someone to speak to your sister with all purity. And so we saw all of that. And then verse 3 says this, Honor widows who are widows indeed. And we saw that was principle number three in relating and leading. Very simply, it's the responsibility of the church to support true widows. So we just posted the obvious. It's obvious there. Everything really centers on all of this. The whole topic of the chapter is, is geared once you get to verse three to this. And that's those that are truly bereft, truly alone, truly without resources. And Paul has to help Timothy because not everyone's in that situation and not every woman really is in dire straits and everyone has their own definition of who qualifies or who is deserving of what it means to be in need. And so Paul, carried along by the Holy Spirit, gives Timothy some understanding in dealing with the situation, a measuring rod, if you will, a list of qualifications which will help him make this clear. And then we saw in verse 4, and principle number four for widow care, the family has the first responsibility. And we just read that means that those who are children and grandchildren have the primary responsibility to take care of a widowed mother or grandmother. And so showing godliness is going to start there first. And then we saw in verses five and six that principle number five in relating and leading for widow care is she has to be a believer. It doesn't mean that we can never help non-believers, but in this particular case, for those who are going to be put on the list, uh, this person has to be a believer. And then verse 6, we saw that she has to be godly. And that's a clear indication because we, we understand that uh, there has to be uh, works that line up with what she says. And then we also saw in verses 7 and 8 that it wasn't just, uh, the, just children's responsibility to take care of a widow, but we saw also that it is uh, the responsibility of men to do that. And we saw that, verse 8, if anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those of his household, so speaking to the man, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So there's responsibility there, multi-layered, the children, the grandchildren, and the man are supposed to do that and making sure as the church grows that nobody falls through the cracks. If there are needy widows that need to be taken care of, this expands out the responsibility and watching and making sure that they are taken care of. And so men need to do that both in their family and in their inner circle. And so we're going to see from verse 16, which we'll see in a little bit, that women are added to this list. And we'll talk about that as we get there. Now look at verses 9 and 10. Verse 9 says this, A widow is to be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man, having a reputation, verse 10, for good works, if she's brought up children, if she's shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted those in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good work. Now, she's going to make a commitment, and we see this as the list is understood. She's going to make a commitment to remain single and give herself to kingdom work. And at 60, we saw that's likely that she can keep that commitment. That's the key idea. And we're going to see as we move into verse 11, that helps us understand that passage. So these ladies are going to be a part of the ministry of outreach of the church. And that was principle number seven. These widows who may be fully supported by the church understand that singleness is an opportunity to give themselves totally to kingdom work. And we looked at lots of passages concerning singleness. We understand uh, verses 7 and 8 have to do with an extended teaching on singleness now at the end towards, towards the end of life where this woman has no longer a husband and she is single and she's old enough to hold that commitment. That's why 60 is there. And the rest of the passage is very special because it deals with the character of the women who will teach the younger women and represent Christ through church ministry. And so I think it should grab our attention. And this is where it really broadened out, where we have this understanding that if she's going to get to this point in her life and the habit of her life has been these things, then these are things that younger women need to pay attention to. These are marvelous qualities. 
uh, faithfulness over time, which by itself is instructive for all women on how to prioritize the hundreds of daily demands for time. So Paul says the first one is this, marital fidelity, having been the wife of one man. So in order to qualify to do that type of church ministry for our younger ladies to, if you will, be on the list as a single person, she is a one-man woman. That's an idiom we see in the Greek both ways, a one-woman man for those who lead the church, a one-man woman for someone who's going to be part of the ministry of the church. That means she was totally devoted through the course of the marriage to the man she was married to. Talking about purity of action, talking about purity of attitude, she lived in complete fidelity to her husband. And we identified that as principle number eight for widow care. And the idea is those perhaps supported by the church, but who will be serving in the church as a woman who has lived her life in a chaste way, she was faithful to the husband that she had. And again, faithfulness as a choice over the long haul. And that's what that looks like in a marriage relationship. And then Paul says this in verse 10, having a reputation for good works. People describe her, it's in the passive, people describe her as a, they have a good witness, if you will, of her from others. She is well reported for good works. It's common knowledge the kind of woman that she is. And that was principle number nine for widow care. It is, this is a woman who is noted for her testimony and for the, in the spiritual dimension, unable to be called out without a handle, literally, nothing to grab to say, this doesn't line up with biblical principles. And so we see some of what those good works are in the next five in a row. And they are in a non-exhaustive list uh, that just, this is going to get us to this reputation for good works over time. Everything is a snapshot. Everything in the, in the verb is a snapshot of what's happened in the past. So this is over time. Here are the good works. And Paul lists for Timothy. These are the ones he wants them, him to examine. This is the profile, if you will, of a godly woman. She has brought up children. She has shown hospitality to strangers. She has washed the saints' feet. She's assisted those in distress, devoted herself to every good work. These are, this is the profile of a godly woman. We saw others we won't look at again. Proverbs chapter 31, you can read that one. That's a profile of a godly woman. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 6, profile of a godly woman. And as we've said before, what you don't see here in any of these profiles of godliness is fierceness, she marches to her own drumbeat. She can do anything a man can do. She's independent. She's strong-minded. No feminist slogans. So women that, God, women that God thinks are great are right here, and their, their qualities are listed. Now, look at the first one that Paul mentions here. It says, she has brought up children. And here's where her godliness and her moral standards are really readily visible. What is the product of her efforts? Obviously, we're not just talking about bringing them up to adulthood. This sees her as a Christian mom bearing and raising children to a, in a godly home. And obviously, if she's raised godly children and they are able to provide financial support for her, and they no doubt are and would, uh, which may make her not completely reliant on the church for her monetary or physical support. So that might be a witness that she raised godly children. They're already doing these types of things and making sure she's taken care of. But this is the single greatest privilege of a woman. Now, this does not mean that, that a woman who has not given the privilege of having children because she cannot, or a woman who God has appointed this gift of singleness is in any way less. She's not. It's just that if she has bore children, then they must be godly. And that was principle number 10. For those perhaps supported by the church, but who will be on this list serving in the church as a woman who, if she has children, the question is, are they continuing in the faith with love and holiness and self-control? Because this is the kind of woman you want moving around the community. 
giving instructions to your younger mothers, your younger wives, is very, very basic. These are non-negotiable qualities. And here's the next one. If she has shown hospitality to strangers, literally, if she has received strangers, that's the idea, that's the word hospitality. If she has had an open home and maintained hospitality to people, not just people that she knows, but people that she doesn't know. And that really is the essence of the passage. And this is Eris indicative, just like all the rest of them. It's a snapshot of the past. Uh, that was, what was her habit before? That's the question. How has she lived her life? Again, you can just see how broad this is. For our younger ladies, uh, this is something you want to make sure you're giving yourself to along with the other ones because this is what the questions will be when you get to this point. And we just can see this trend here. And that gave us principle number 11. For widow care, those perhaps will be supported fully or partially by the church. This is a woman who is noted for using her home to meet the needs of people she knows and those she doesn't know. Now, next, Paul says she's qualified to be on the list as an example and a teacher if she's washed the saints' feet. We looked at this last time. Principle number 12, for widow care, to be qualified to perhaps be supported by the church. This is a woman who is uh, a person who has seen a need, no matter how humbling that need is. Uh, her normal response is that she would meet that need. She just gets right down there and does it. She humbles herself, and that's the habit of her life. And the next one's no different. If she has assisted those, it says, in distress. Uh, the word distress is the word for pressure, literally in a narrow place. This is someone who can't move out of a place they're in and the pressure is tremendous on them. And the idea is that this is a woman who has helped or assisted or provided strength for or solutions for people who are in trouble or people who are under pressure. It has the idea of delivering them to contentment. That's that word assisted. And again, it doesn't mention anything about things the world thinks are important or feminist input towards the example of a fulfilled woman. It has none of those things in there. Okay? That's encroached so much into the church. We think that's so important. It's not important. These are the things that matter. And, and they're just repeated over and over again so we can know just how important they are. And all it talks about, beloved, is just the reputation and the beauty and the wonder of her humble, gracious spirit of service. Was she faithful to her husband? Was she, if she was given children, are they godly? Did she host people who were strangers to her? Did she take care of those who were in need? Did she relieve those people who were in trouble? And finally, if she has devoted herself to every good work. This is just really the book in for the reputation for good works, devoted herself for every good work. So we can see that uh, the, uh, the whole list of qualifications are not exhaustive. There's a whole bunch of other things, see. Literally, along with these other things, that's the idea of the verb. She has lived her life in this way, which gave us that next principle, number 14, for widow care. This is a woman who has spent her life doing these kinds of things and a myriad of other things see, that aren't even listed here. This is just her character. This list doesn't even come close to all the things she actually does day in and day out. That's the idea. If she spent her life doing those things, then put her on the list and send her out to minister. And again, just one standard of godliness. And so all these things then become very broad. These are the pattern of life goals, the way that you prioritize your time as a woman, as a younger woman, all the way into your older age. These are the things that God thinks are most important. Now remember the first qualification now in verse 9. If they were to be there to be over the age of 60 to be put on the list. So what's the likely question that's going to come up? What about all the rest? 
I mean, that's the very first thing that's going to be asked. Paul's carried along by the Holy Spirit. He knows the church is going to say, what about the rest of the people that we're supporting? How do we deal with them? What's supposed to happen? And, and there are no doubt younger widows who are in need of assistance and, and perhaps receiving it. And, and the question is, can they make a commitment to singleness and to serve the church? Can they be on that list? And I think you can see how very easily this now unfolds, now that we have all the basics. And so I can move through here and you can assimilate this yourself. Verse 11 says this, But refuse to put younger widows on the list, for when they feel sensual desire and disregard to Christ, they want to get married. Verse 12, Thus incurring condemnation, because they've set aside their previous pledge. Verse 13, At the same time they also learn to be idle, so as to go around from house to house, and not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies talking about things not proper to mention. Therefore, verse 14, I want younger widows to get married and bear children and keep house and give the enemy no occasion for reproach. Verse 15, for some have already turned aside to follow Satan. Now stop right there. Now, I think you can see how this is unfolding. And the first thing I want you to look at, although it's not the first verse in this section, it is really the pin on which everything else rotates around. It's this, younger widows are to what? Remarry. That's the main thing. I think you can pick that out. So we'll start here, even though it's not at the top. I think it's the main thing. It's the main emphasis. It's impossible to miss that. And, and now they may be truly in need of assistance. And, and in that case, the church, after evaluating what? The lifestyle choices, whether or not there's family to care for them. They have to be a believer. Life has to line up with that confession. So there's some questions, general questions are going to be asked. If the qualifications are there, it would certainly be appropriate for some support to be rendered. But by this very nature of this command, it would be what? Temporary. Why? Because verse 14 says that the church here, and Timothy in particular, is to teach the church to instruct them to what? To get married. And we'll just start here, and, and that's principle number 15 in relating and leading. It's very simple. It's the responsibility of the church to encourage younger widows toward marriage. And the verb here is present middle indicative. Paul says um, in verse 14, he, he says, therefore I want younger widows. And the idea is, it carries the idea of a command for the younger widow, but it's this idea, be of the mind yourself. That's the understanding. Make this your intention. It's the desire of reason. I desire women, younger widows to be married. That's the desire of rational thinking, not the desire of passion. The desire for what's best. Be of this mind yourself, Paul says. The church could put widows on a list if they were over 60 with certain qualifications. The younger widows, what? They are encouraged to go toward marriage. Second of all, concerning all the other widows. Younger widows can't be on the list. You can't put them on the list. And that's impossible to miss. That's another very clear passage. Why can't they be put on the list? And again, we're talking about younger women who have lost their protector, their provider. It isn't saying how they lost their husband. It doesn't have that meaning in the Greek, actually. A widow is just someone who's bereft, someone who has lost their protector. Her husband may have been an unbeliever and left her. 1 Corinthians 7.15 tells her if she is married to an unbeliever and the unbeliever leaves, let him go. You're not bound in that situation. So if the husband's not a believer, and you can see how this would happen early in the, in the early church, it could happen still. So... 
the Corinthian church is planted and they hear the gospel and one half of this marriage responds. Say it's the woman. She responds. And she is born again. But she's still married to a husband who is not born again. So he's still going to the temple at pagan idols and all that kind of stuff. And she's thinking to herself, man, it would be really great to dump this dude and get married to somebody who's born again. Right? That would be great. Except the Lord says before this passage, if he wants to stay, let him stay. If, because you don't know that your testimony may not win him to Christ. But when it gets to this point, it says, if he wants to leave, let him leave, because you're not bound in that situation. Anytime that bounding and loosing is used, it means you're free to remarry. Okay, so perhaps he left her. She was not, he was an unbeliever. She's free to remarry. Maybe her husband had committed continuous, unrepentant adultery. She's free to remarry. Of course, Romans chapter 7. If her husband died, she'd be free to remarry. And we've gone over all of those things uh, very, very clearly uh, in a number of our studies to make sure that you understand the biblical understanding of a divorce and remarriage. So we come then to verse 11, and here's what would happen. So it's, this is the likely scenario, and I think you can see this fairly easily. Uh, one of these young women would lose their husband for any of the reasons we said. Maybe he died, maybe he left, maybe there was a divorce because of incessant adultery. So now she's single. And right now, she may have nothing, and she may be in serious need. And she may be hurt. And in that situation, she may say, I'm committed to being single. I believe the Lord has given me the gift of singleness from now on. I never want to marry again. I'm not going to be in that situation again. I'm never, there's very anti-man things going on here. I'm never going to pair myself up where I have any chance of having some hurt done to me. You can see that this would happen. And so, she would have this idea and she would say, I just want to serve the Lord. Please put me on the list. There's a list. There's godly women there. She's like, hey, I'm a widow now. Just put me on the list. I want to go out with these godly women. I just want to serve the Lord. Now, we already know a number of reasons why she may not qualify depending on her age. We've already looked at that, right? Uh, she has to be 60 or above. So she may not qualify right away. She has to be the wife of one man. She had to be a one-man woman. Maybe she wasn't. Uh, she had to have a reputation for good works. Maybe she's young. She hasn't had enough time for that. Uh, she's brought up children. Maybe her children are still little, so we don't know if they're going to be godly or not. She has shown hospitality to strangers, washed the saints' feet, assisted those in distress. You saw all those that we looked at, devoted herself to every good work. So there might not be enough time for us to know that. Maybe she could she qualify in some of those areas, depending on her age, the age of her children. But she certainly wouldn't qualify uh, for the first one. She's not less than 60. She wouldn't qualify there. Uh, because this is a commitment to singleness. That's the idea. Remember, that's just an extended teaching on singleness. Now at the, towards the end of life, now she no longer has a husband. She is committing herself to singleness. And this is principle number 16 in relating and leading. Just obviously, younger widows cannot be put on the list. And this is what Paul says very clearly and firmly in verse 11. Now look back there. He says this, but refuse to put younger widows on the list. And refuse is in the imperative. It's a command. It's not one of those options where you can if you want to. Let's slide her in there. She makes most of the marks, but not all of them. It's that you can't put the younger widow on the list, period, regardless of what she's like. And now we get to the why. Why can't you put her on the list? And there are a few reasons here, and I'll give them to you then, just kind of in a logical order. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 11. Look there if you would. But refuse to put younger widows on the list for when they feel sensual desires in disregard of Christ... They want to get married, thus incurring condemnation because they've set aside market 
their previous pledge. And that's a very, very important phrase for you to remember. There's a lot we could say here and use up all of our time, but in, in case you're wondering how serious a thing it is to pledge to do something for the Lord and for His sake, make some commitment that you believe He wants you to make, and then not do it, I'd like you to do a word study on your own on paying your vows. Just do a pay your vows word study. You're going to get dozens and dozens and dozens of hits on that. And I'm going to give you just a few illustrations, then we'll come back and look at the passage. But because the, the, the address of the passage is they've set aside their previous pledge. Remember, he says, refuse to put younger widows on the list for when they feel sensual desire in disregard of Christ, they want to get married. Now listen, nothing wrong with getting married. You can get married as an older widow. You can get married as a younger widow. You're not bound because your husband's not there. And in some situations, you're free to remarry. So he's not saying it's bad to remarry. What's he saying? You're disregarding what you said to Christ. That's the issue. You set aside your previous pledge, and so chastening comes on you. Do you understand? Now look at how the Scripture deals with taking care of doing what you say you're going to do to the Lord. And this is, this is really foreign to the modern church. We're very familiar with promising things to the Lord and then not delivering. Are we not? All of us are guilty of that at one time or another. If you do this, Lord, then I'll do this, and then the Lord does this, and you don't do this. That's not a good thing, and you're going to see that. I'm just going to give you, just skim in the top. There's dozens we can look at. We don't have time for that. Pro, uh, Psalm chapter 50, verse 14. Offer to the Lord a, a sacrifice of thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. Pay your vows to whom? The Most High. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I shall rescue you. You'll honor me. Psalm chapter 76, verse 11. Make vows to the Lord your God and what? Fulfill them. Let all who are around bring gifts to him who is to be feared. Psalm 56, 12. Your vows are binding upon me, O Lord. I will render thank offerings to you. Deuteronomy 23, 21. When you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it. For it would be what? A sin to you. And the Lord your God will surely require it of you. Then Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 7. Remember, Deuteronomy, if you make a vow to the Lord, you don't delay to pay it. If you delay to pay it, that's a sin to you. Ecclesiastes 5, 4. When you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it, for he takes no delight in fools. So you make a vow to the Lord and then you don't pay it. What does he call you? That's foolish. Pay what you vow. It's better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. Do not let your speech cause you to sin and do not say in the presence of the messenger of God that it was a mistake. In other words, don't come back and say, I know I said that, but I really didn't mean it. And I don't feel that way now. And, you know, I'd like to get out of it. Don't do that. Why should God be angry on account of your voice and destroy the works of your hands? Sounds pretty serious, doesn't it? For in many dreams and in many words, there's emptiness. Rather, fear God. In other words, whatever it is you're going to do, recognize who you're saying it to and do what you say you're going to do. Don't just dream and think, hey, I want to do this. And I think that applies really well to our passage, right? Because they make that commitment to be single and be put on that list. And then they start feeling some other things. And that's the issue. God puts a high premium on integrity of speech and he doesn't want people making covenants to him that they weren't intending to keep. And that's what he means when he writes when they feel 
sensual desires in disregard of Christ. Then she's going to want to break the vow and break out of this rash vow and this covenant that she made earlier when she felt like she felt, you see? And that word disregard implies without regard to what's right. And what's right? Keeping the vow that you made. That's the issue. So she starts to feel the strong desire. She starts really to chafe, if you will, against the yoke she imposed on herself, which is this yoke of singleness for the rest of her life and her vow to serve the Lord in that way. And of course, that goes along with all the teaching of singleness we just got through going through. So I won't go through back, back through that again. Just read back over that if you, don't, if you don't remember that. And the condemnation is to come under God's judgment. That's his correction. It's not losing your salvation. The condemnation is God's correction, his discipline on you. It's a serious thing, as we saw, to disregard a pledge that's made to God. And that's what Paul wants to avoid. So the Holy Spirit carries them along to address this. And this is why there's a minimum age requirement. So that the pledge to singleness would be less likely to be broken. Because it's so serious. And like I said, I don't think we think much about promising God and then not doing something. That's pretty empty for us. But I think it's important to realize it's a serious problem and chastening results as, that can come from it. And so the first part of the problem is this. Paul's trying to avoid a woman who may find herself hard-pressed to sustain the kind of commitment she felt shortly after you losing her husband. Now let's look at the second likely problem. Second likely problem, look at verse 13 in your open, in your open Bible. At the same time, they also learn to be idle as they go around from house to house and not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies talking about things not proper to mention. Here's the second problem. First problem, you're going to try to get out of a yoke you put on yourself, a promise you made to God, and that brings chastening. Second problem is a problem of immaturity. It's a problem of immaturity. If they were fully supported by the church for ministry or partially supported and immature, then they're going to have too much time on their hands and they're going to get into trouble. And it apparently had happened, which is the whole reason why it's here. It obviously was going on in Ephesus. Paul has to address it through Timothy. This is where he's going to come and address a younger woman. He's going to have to do it as he would his sister. But there's some difficulty here. Somebody had already got into trouble. Going around, Paul says, from house to house, that would be part of the ministry of those on the list. It would be part of the ministry of godly older women. They would be going around from house to house and helping our younger women with the raising of their children and, and the blessing and the encouragement and the instruction and all that's going to go on and the life uh, understanding that would help them love their husbands and love their families and love uh, their children and love their home. All that stuff. So they're going, though, around house to house and there isn't the maturity that's there. So what's the problem? They weren't doing ministry, really. It's, this is the idea of accumulating information about people's families and their situations and then making those things a matter of discussion with other people, otherwise known as gossips and busybodies. And that's the word for meddlesome. What's happening? She doesn't have the maturity to do the things she wants to do. Her children aren't raised yet. We don't even know if they're going to be godly. She doesn't have the lifetime of faithfulness and all of that. Now she's going around and she isn't doing ministry. She's listening to these very sensitive problems and now she's repeating them. That's exactly what the scripture says. Paul says it takes a serious-minded, mature, godly woman to minister in homes and families and be part of their deepest needs and their deepest problems and their deepest secrets and not abuse that opportunity. For these reasons then, young women are not to be put on the list. So they don't, it says, become a reproach. They don't become a reproach. 
And that's principle 17, really, as we work our way through. Because this can tend to be the case. So Paul says, therefore, I want younger widows to get married, to bear children, to keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach. And that's principle number 17 in relating and leading concerning younger widows. Younger widows are to get married. And we've already seen that. Uh, these ministries are a godly woman's most important job. He says, instead of doing that, instead of making this commitment to singleness, which you may not be able to keep, and it's likely that you won't, and you don't have the life experience that's going to be able to help our younger women anyway, instead, get married. Love your husband. Love your children. Bring them up in godliness. Keep your home in a way that honors the Lord. Manage it. That's the idea. Her husband has full confidence in her, Proverbs 31 says. She can do all these wonderful things. And that's really where God puts his priority. And all of this is there so that there's no opportunity to be called out, no handle for the sake of the gospel to be defamed. Now, Titus chapter 2, verse 5, remember we looked at this last time. Uh, older women, those who are godly, those who are mature, perhaps those on the list, but certainly those with the qualifications we just mentioned, are to teach the younger women in Titus 2, 5 to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. See, these are all the things we've looked at already. It's the same thing repeated over and over again. The highest calling of a woman is to do these kinds of things. Faithfulness over the long term. So that someday, and this is it, someday everyone will know the record of the good works. Everybody can testify. Everyone can make sure that everybody knows this is a godly woman who raised godly children and, and loved strangers and took care of those in need and ministered in all the things that are all part of being a woman after God's own heart. Now turn to verse 15. We're about done. For some have already turned aside, it says, to follow Satan. So can I point out, this is the precise reason for the writing of this section of the letter. Already some problems in the church. Some widows had already allowed Satan to lead them into sin. This was already going on. Already busybodies, already meddlesome, already people doing, not doing what they're supposed to do, an idol. See, uh, Already putting widows, perhaps older widows, who hadn't qualified in their, in their younger life and, and hadn't been one man, woman. And hadn't done the kinds of things that they should have done. And they're on the list and they're circulating around. This is the problem. So he does not specific, he doesn't call out somebody's name like he has before. He just says, listen, there are already, this is already a problem in the church. Some widows have already followed Satan into sin. And so Paul teaches Timothy from experience then. And once again, one standard of godliness. Mark this, beloved. What Paul is instructing the younger women to focus on and to avoid are the very things all women are to focus on and avoid. You get that? We have the great list, what it's supposed to look like, all that stuff over time. And then we have this list here uh, on this backside of younger widows. This is what you don't want to do, okay? You don't want to find yourself as a gossip. You don't want to find yourself as a meddlesome. You don't want to find yourself as an idol and going from house to house and doing no work at all. You don't want to find that at all, see? And so both of those are then greater than the sum of its parts, because it's addressed to how the church is to discern what's supposed to happen in ministry, but it becomes much greater. It becomes this wonderful plan of God's plan for a godly woman whom he loves and cares for and puts his affection on. And then look at verse 16. This is Paul's really final word in this section about this. Verse 16, he says this. If any woman who is a believer has dependent widows, she must assist them and the church must not be burdened so that it may assist those who are widows indeed. 
Now, as you saw earlier, there are several layers of need meeting so that all are cared for. As the church grows, it's easy for people to fall into the cracks. It may be likely that there are some who need assistance. And so he pulls in children and grandchildren. He pulls in the men who are supposed to watch over, likely the one who is the, uh, the biggest income producer. He also helps to, to guide the family. He's looking and making sure there's no needs, so there's no gaps. And then here, uh, any related woman. So this could, I think, likely, because of where it is and it didn't come in the middle of the passage like the other two, maybe it's, and you can't be dogmatic about this, but perhaps it's focused on these younger widows, perhaps uh, a mother caring for a bereaved daughter or a sister caring for a bereaved sister or, or anyone else in the family. It's likely that because it's, this is the topic of younger widows and perhaps that's making sure they, don't, they have their needs met. And if you're connected in that family, you're responsible. It could be widows with means, who, who husbands have left them in good shape and they have the money to discharge and make sure they're taken care of. It could be all these things. And this fits so well into the bio of a truly godly woman. She is to devote herself to every good work possible, avoid being idle and floating around from house to house and gossiping and, and meddling. Instead, uh, she's to focus on keeping her own home, assisting other women in need whom she can help as a younger widow. And she's doing all this and loving her family and, and being faithful to minister to those who she doesn't know and all the stuff we looked at. And she makes a habit of her doing that over the course of her life so that at some point she gets to the point where maybe she is going to need some help. She's lived this no reproach life, just silences the enemy, makes her a woman worthy to be cared for and a woman you definitely want aff affiliated with uh, the ministry of the church, a woman you definitely want moving out into the church and helping Younger women uh, live life and learn what's important. And so it closes our time together. And, and I, my plan was to finish a little early today because of the, of the fact that it was a big ministry, I had a lot to do, and that it's canceled because of the rain. So what I want to do, and uh, you know that I do this from time to time, and sometimes we just open it up to every kind of question, and we certainly can do that. But I'm going to give you just, we got a couple minutes. Are there any questions concerning this passage? So we had a number of questions. I had a number of questions over the last couple of weeks concerning certain items here, which I just felt like if somebody came up to me and asked me that, it's likely that other people had the same type of question or some similar. And so if you don't, or if you'd rather ask me privately, I'd love to answer. I can answer it that way too. You can send me a text or an email and it'd be, or come talk to me. It'd be a joy to talk to you about that. Any questions about this section of scripture uh, and how it's applied, how we taught it again as we worked our way through the word of God. you've not been here a while, you know from time to time we just open up to, sometimes our time of teaching is just Q&A. So uh, I'm okay with you asking. If you feel though, if you've got more that you want to ask and you want to do it privately, you can do that. All right. Let's bow and be dismissed in prayer. And uh, like I said at the beginning, it would be my joy to help you understand these things. I know that they fly in the face of what the world teaches and so um, it may be hard for you to hear this. It may be difficult. You may I uh, want to uh, pass it off as just my opinion. I think you can see, though, it isn't it's consistent over the, the course of Scripture. So uh, let me help you if you need help. Lord, we thank you today for an opportunity to be in your Word. We're very grateful, too, uh, for our bond of love and unity. We thank you for the joy it is just to be together, to study the Word of God, how, how uh, invigorating it is for us, how it breathes life into us. It's a long week, and we come in, and we sing, and we pray, and we give, and, and we study your Word, and we just come out refreshed. Uh, even if we're uh, taken to task, even if your word 
uh, calls to question some of the things that we think uh, are right and we find out aren't. Even in that, there's joy in it. Even in that. As you take out the faulty parts and put the, the good ones in. And so, Father, we thank you for that. I pray that we'll be the kind of church that's like this. Thank you for so many godly women here who've understood this, younger women who are married and, and uh, doing these kinds of things and establishing a pattern over time and organizing their life and a myriad of things that could demand their time. They're prioritizing that. I pray that you'll help them continue to do that correctly. And for our singles who are just such a blessing to us, I pray that you, again, encourage them in their singleness that they've uh, it's just something that you've given and what a joy it is to know that uh, holy in mind and body uh, and given themselves to the service of, of the ministry is such a joy. And uh, thank you for that great reward that is there certainly by uh, turning away from those things they could have had. And Father, for our older women, uh, the few that are here that uh, have been mentoring and encouraging, I pray that you'll bless them too and that they'll have understanding and uh, an ability to communicate the things that are most important. We thank you for that. We, we pray all of this for the sake of the gospel, that the word of God may not be defamed, not be dishonored, instead um, elevated, even if it's criticized, even if these kinds of teachings seem antiquated and, and, and hundreds of years out of date. Uh, instead, when we do those good things over time, uh, people will realize uh, that we were right all along. Pray that we'll be faithful uh, to give out your gospel, to be faithful to live it out in front of our family, to raise our children, to love you. If we tell them about you but do wickedness in front of them, we tell them about heaven and lead them to hell. Help that not to be the case here. And for everyone who calls on the name of Christ. And so, Father, we pray all this in the name of your Son. It's for his sake. This Advent time, which we're so rejoicing in, there's so much here over the weeks that are just so encouraging. I pray, Father, uh, that our, our joy will be full and our thankfulness directed correctly. I pray that all this in the name of your Son, Jesus, and for his sake and all God's people said, Amen.